0: Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, I echo the words of the little video we saw a moment ago, that we are called to love all people, no limits, echoing what we studied last Sunday. And I echo Butch's prayer as we pray for God to bring healing. Obviously, healing when we talk about a pandemic Uh, But healing to so much divisiveness, to so much brokenness that exists in relationships all around us. And so let me invite you to hear these words from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and then the first part of verse 8. Words that are about halfway through Paul's opening prayer in this letter to the church in Ephesus. It is a prayer in which Paul offers praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These words that are about halfway through that prayer. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished us on us in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I hope all of us know the story of scripture, the story of God well enough to know that God has longed for relationship with us from the very beginning. We were created in the image of God. We were created for relationship But even beyond that incredible message of Scripture in the opening lines of Scripture, even beyond that, God has longed for, continued to long for relationship with us in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion. In those moments when we may wonder how God could love us, why God would love us in those moments when we come face to face with our sin and the consequences and the heartache and the brokenness that our sin brings to ourselves and to others. In those moments, my prayer is that we catch a glimpse again of the depth of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy toward us, this God who longs for relationship with us. This love and grace that he has lavished on us. And so scripture will introduce us again and again to words that I would describe as salvation-related words to remind us again of the depth of God's love. Words like reconciliation, that relationships have been restored, and how desperately we need that in today's world. Redemption that Jesus has paid the ransom. He has paid the price to buy us back from the slavery of sin. Justification, we are declared just and right before God. Sanctification, that we are declared holy, that we have been set apart. And not only that we've been declared holy, but we are called to live holy lives. In fact, In that opening prayer in the book of Ephesians, Paul will identify a number of blessings that we experience in Christ. Again, different ways of describing the relationship that God longs for with us. And so we were chosen, we were predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. We received the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. And at the heart of that prayer in Christ we have forgiveness of sins. The slate has been wiped clean. May you be reminded of that today. Even when you have trouble grasping it, may you cling to that today. You are forgiven, especially when you struggle to accept God's forgiveness or maybe when you struggle to forgive yourself. But even beyond that, may you especially grab hold of that truth that you are forgiven when you think about your relationships with others, relationships with your family, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe especially when you think about your relationships with those who have wronged you, who have mistreated you, who have taken advantage of you or of someone that you love deeply. May you especially remember as you grapple with those relationships. May you especially remember how much God has forgiven you. How much God has forgiven you. Because you see church, there are moments in our lives. Don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know. There are moments in our lives when we all struggle to forgive others. In fact, We may even be so bold at times in the words we use to say things like, I just don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to uh, forgive him. I don't want to forgive her. There is no way, there is no way that I can forgive. Last week, the first lesson of this series, we reflected on the statement, I struggle to love all people. And as we grappled with that statement, again, I'm encouraging us to be honest and transparent with our struggles in life. life. But as we grappled with that statement last week, I invited us to do two things. One, I invited us to lean into what scripture says about loving others, to recognize again that scripture is calling us beyond where we are in our struggles. I invited us to lean into scripture and I invited us to lean into prayer. And I'm going to invite us to do the very same thing today. I struggle to forgive others. Let me begin with Matthew chapter 18. The conversation that I want us to look at uh, between Jesus and the Apostle Peter is a conversation that immediately follows a segment in Matthew where Jesus talks about how we should respond to a brother or sister who sins against us. Rather than carrying grudges, rather than not forgiving, Jesus says, my paraphrase, we should do everything we can to restore the relationship. Well, it's right after that segment of teaching that we hear these words. And initially, I'm just going to read through the entire text. And then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, the more recent NIV translation puts it, 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. A hundred denarii, a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, remember, Peter's question, Jesus' answer, and then the parable that Jesus teaches, all of that immediately follows that segment of teaching where Jesus encourages us as his followers to pursue reconciliation when a brother or sister has sinned against us. Peter says, how many times shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? As if to say, my paraphrase, but as if to say, Jesus, sometimes it is hard to forgive others. I really struggle to forgive others. Jesus, surely there is a limit. And so how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? You see, Jewish rabbinic tradition generally placed some limitation on the number of times forgiveness should be extended. What you read most often in rabbinic tradition is you forgive three times, perhaps four times. In fact, according to one rabbinic saying in a very legal sort of way to explain it, and I quote, if a man trespasses once, forgive him. If a second time, forgive him. If a third time, forgive him. If a fourth time, do not forgive him. End quote. And so Peter likely thought he was being incredibly gracious. Up to seven times? In fact, in contrast to rabbinic tradition, Peter's suggestion of seven times may appear to be extraordinarily generous. But let me hit the pause button and let me ask... How many times have you forgiven someone who wronged you? Or on the other side of the coin, how many times has someone forgiven you when you wronged them, when you sinned against them again and again, or maybe even better? How many times has God forgiven you? Did you catch the response of Jesus when Peter asked the question? Oh, Jesus, it is tough to forgive folks at times. And so how many times should I forgive up to seven times? Jesus said not seven times, but 77 times. Or as some of our translations put it, 70 times seven, 490 times. There's always a bit, of challenge, a bit of a challenge with numbers in the ancient languages. But 77 times 70 times seven, it's a large number, but likely an idiomatic phrase In that ancient world that meant in essence an infinite number of times. It is not a legal approach of saying, okay, I've forgiven 77 times, now I can quit. But you may also be aware of the fact that there's an Old Testament story where that number shows up 77 times or 70 times 7. Do you remember the story of Lamech in Genesis chapter 4? Let me read part of the story. Lamech. And Lamech was a descendant of Cain, by the way. Lamech married two women. And as some of you have heard me say before, that's his first mistake. One named Ada, the other Zillah. And then a bit of a history regarding his lineage. Ada gave birth to Jubal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain who forced all kinds of tools out of bronze bronze and iron to Cain's sister was Nama. (coughs) And then this piece of the story. Evidently, Lamech comes in one day, and he says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Why, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So here's my paraphrase. Lamech says, someone did me wrong and I got even. I I killed him. And then he proceeds to say that he was willing to retaliate to get even, even if it meant to the point of 77 times. We have moved From the goodness of creation that we are to love one another, we have moved from the goodness of creation in just a few pages to unrestrained violence and vengeance and retaliation. Maybe similar to what we see in today's world, where far too often we, others, it's easy to point at others, but let's be honest, sometimes we also struggle, where far too often we carry hatred and revenge. We want to get even. And so we carry grudge after grudge after grudge. Back to Matthew chapter 18, typical of the response of Jesus on other occasions, he calls us back to what God intended from the very beginning. I think Jesus knew the story of Lamech. And I suspect Peter knew that story as well. And Jesus reminds Peter, reminds his disciples, that we are called to a life of forgiveness, not a life of bitterness and revenge and retaliation. I want you to hear me carefully, Lamech's choice to seek revenge. Lamech's choice was a deliberate, intentional choice to seek revenge, to not forgive. Jesus, on the other hand, calls us to a deliberate, intentional choice that life in the kingdom is marked by forgiveness toward those who have wronged us. And then as he often does to reinforce his message, Jesus tells a story. He teaches a parable, talks about a king, a master who had servants who owed him certain amounts of money. One servant owed him literally 10,000 talents. NIV says 10,000 bags of gold. It would have literally been millions of dollars in our currency today. In fact, in terms of weight, 10,000 talents is the equivalent of 204 metric uh, tons. In today's currency, One writer has suggested maybe equivalent to about $10 billion. How in the world do you accumulate that much debt? I mean, we're bordering on the absurd, an amount that he could never repay. And so as a result, the master orders the man and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. And then, Jesus says, the servant begged the king to be patient, saying, I will pay back everything, with the reality being he was probably in a position where he could never repay the debt. And yet, the master had mercy, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Now, I want to say when I get to that part of the story, Jesus, that is just absolutely outrageous. Now, we're really talking about something that is absurd. What master in his right mind would forgive that kind of debt? What banker in his right mind would forgive a debt of a million dollars or so? By the way, if you are a banker and you're prone to be that merciful, come see me afterwards. I need to borrow some money. It's the kind of forgiveness. It's the kind of grace that Philip Yancey, in reflecting on texts like these, that Yancey calls the atrocious mathematics of the kingdom, the atrocious mathematics of the grace of God. The twist in the parable is that this same man, the one who had been forgiven a debt he could never pay, he went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a 100 silver coins, a hundred denarii. A denarius, by the way, was a day's wage in that first century world. And so about a three months, uh, uh, the equivalent of about three months wages that he owes. In our currency, a denarius is probably 17 to 20 cents. And so a hundred denarii, maybe 17 to $20 in our currency, or better yet, compare it to what you make. How much do you make in a month? And if you say $1,000, then we're talking about a $3,000 debt. If you make $5,000 a month, we're talking about a $15,000 debt. You fill in the blanks in terms of what you make each month. Multiply it by three, and that is the amount of the debt. Now, on one hand, that may sound like a rather sizable debt, but compared to millions of dollars. And even though it may sound like a sizable debt, more than likely with the appropriate patience and grace We could all repay the debt. His fellow servant, Jesus says, made the same request. The guy who owes the hundred denarii, exactly the same request. Be patient and I will pay you back. Not only did he refuse to extend the blessing that he had received, Jesus says he showed no mercy at all. But he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which means while he's in prison, there's no way that he can pay the debt. That's where, again, the parable is just crazy. Uh, An amount of $10 billion versus $17 or $15,000. How could anyone who was forgiven that kind of debt refuse to forgive someone who owes him so much less? And so when the master learned what had happened, Jesus says, he turns this first man over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how the heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart. As if to ask again, how much has God forgiven you? In the same way, Jesus calls us to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Again, that may be easy to say on one level, but I want you to catch the seriousness of what Jesus says. And so let's try it again. How many times have you sinned against God and how many times has God forgiven you? And you're not willing to extend forgiveness to others? You see, Jesus cuts to the chase. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't toy with God. Don't toy with forgiveness. This is how God will treat you unless you forgive from the heart. And so I wonder how many of us have destroyed not only relationships, but we have destroyed ourselves because we have carried grudges and resentment and bitterness and hatred. Go back to the story of Lamech for just a moment. If we're honest... If we're honest, I suspect it is a place where all of us may find ourselves at one time or another in our lives where we don't want to forgive, where we may be tempted to get even, to retaliate because we've been wronged or because someone that we love dearly has been wronged. The temptation is not to forgive. And so go back to that story and reflect on it and then jump forward with me a few chapters in the book of Genesis and let's see another story from a very different perspective. You know the story of Joseph, I suspect. Joseph, who was sold into captivity by his brothers, who ends up in the land of Egypt, who ends up in prison for a, time, uh, for a period of time in Egypt, but ultimately becomes the second most powerful person in the entire land. It is during a time of famine that his brothers come to Egypt to buy food, and eventually the entire family ends up moving to Egypt. And then, after a period of years, Jacob, the father of Joseph and Joseph's brothers, dies. Those brothers are terrified that Joseph will retaliate. Joseph, I suppose, from one vantage point, who had every human reason to get even, to not forgive, to retaliate. But I want you to hear what the text says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. And they may be telling the truth, but I'm also willing to conjecture that they're making it up. Your father left these instructions. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when that message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Now, let me step out on a limb for just a moment. Maybe part of our challenge when we talk about forgiveness is even how we define forgiveness. And so I want you to hear me very, very carefully. When we talk about God forgiving us, I think it's fair to say that God forgives and God forgets. The slate has been wiped clean. We are declared righteous. We are declared justified and maybe that's where we struggle when we wonder how do we define this word forgiveness and what does forgetting have to do with that and so let me come at it from a couple of angles I may say well someone wronged me and I want to forgive that person I really do want to forgive but it is so hard to forget I was hurt so badly that person treated a family member so badly and so I end up equating forgiveness with totally forgetting what happened when the human brain may simply not be able to forget everything. Hang on. Let me quickly suggest that that kind of posture, I really do want to forget, uh, forgive, but it's tough to forget. That posture is in sharp contrast to the person who says, Okay, I'll forgive you, but there's no way I'm ever going to forget it. I think that's an entirely different posture, almost as if to say, I'm going to make sure that I keep your behavior in the back of your mind so that if you ever do anything wrong again, I'm going to bring it up again, but I do forgive you. Don't think that's the case. And so here's a definition of forgiveness that works for me, it is that intentional decision to let go. I may never never be able to completely forget. That's again, the challenge of memory and the human brain. I may never be able to completely forget, but I'm going to act as if it never happened. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to be willing to let it go because you see another important piece of this conversation and I alluded to it a moment ago. If I refuse to forgive, ultimately that posture harms me more than it does the person that I'm forgiving or not forgiving because I allow bitterness and hatred and thoughts of revenge to dominate my life. And may I suggest that is a miserable way to live. But when I forgive, oh, the power that forgiveness has to set me free and the power that forgiveness has in many, many contexts to transform relationships is what one writer calls potent mercy. We've allowed, he says, unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness to be potent far too long in our lives. How about if we are potent with mercy and forgiveness from this point forward to allow God to rewrite the stories? And so where do we begin? Yes, acknowledging sometimes it is tough to forgive. Where do we begin beyond that? Well, let me circle back to where I started today. I believe it begins by remembering and accepting and embracing God's forgiveness in our lives and then allowing that forgiveness to guide me in how I treat others. Here's the way Paul put it. A bit later in the book of Ephesians, he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Forgiveness, kindness, compassion become a way of life. And so may we lean into scripture and allow scripture to call us to make the changes that we need to make in our lives. But then just as I did last week, may we also lean into prayer because I cannot do it on my own. I cannot love others on my own. I cannot forgive on my own. I need the help of Almighty God. And so may we lean into prayer as well. Here again, the words that Jesus taught his disciples and you guys come on back up. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then as some manuscripts put it, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then... In the only specific comment that Jesus offers after teaching that prayer. Now, a lot of what he says in that prayer, we're going to see themes throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But in the only specific comment he makes regarding that prayer. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Why is it that that's the only specific comment Jesus makes immediately following the teaching of that prayer? Maybe because that's where so many of us struggle. God, I I just don't want to forgive. Or God, I find it so difficult to forgive. Jesus reminds us of how much God has forgiven us. His extraordinary love and grace and forgiveness toward us. And so just as I did last Sunday, I'm going to close today by leading us in praying that prayer. I'll say a phrase that's a part of the prayer, ask you to repeat the phrase after me. I'll pause for a very brief period of time. But when we come to those phrases, forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. I'm going to pause a little bit longer because I want us to dwell upon the kind of life Jesus is calling us to. Would you bow with me and let's pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, heaven. Hallowed hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. As we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing about the goodness of God.